Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Sleep and Relax ASMR. This episode we are reading the short story or novel by Richard Connell uh, titled The Most Dangerous Game. It was originally published in 1924. I found it from a uh, website I think called freefeedbooks.com, I think it's what it's called. And anyway, I mean, I had um, sort of looked back on the upload schedule and noticed that I really hadn't uh, released any short stories or or uh, fairy tales or folklore in a while. So figured I would um, I would do that. I would do that. So um, you know, as always, I'm not sure if, if this is the entire um, story. I believe it is. It's not that long. But I might have to split it up into two parts because just taking a look at it, it's probably going to be maybe 50 minutes, 60 minutes otherwise. You know, and that's okay, but I, t- I typically like to break that up into two recordings. If only because, you know, time on my end is kind of limited. I, I record first thing in the morning and I basically get like a 30-minute window before the outside world starts to make a ton of noise and I have to get going. So, anyway, we will... Uh, just get started here. Let me see where to start. Okay, so let's jump in. The Most Dangerous Game by Richard Connell. Off there to the right, somewhere, is a large island, said Whitney. It's rather a mystery. What island is it? Rainsford asked. The old chart calls it Ship Trap Island. Whitney replied, A suggestive name, isn't it? Sailors have a curious dread of the place. I don't know why. Some superstition. Can't see it, remarked Rainsford, trying to peer through the dank tropical night that was palpable as it pressed its thick, warm blackness in upon the yacht. You've good eyes, said Whitney, with a laugh and I've seen you pick off a moose moving in the brown fall bush at 400 yards, but even you can't see four miles or so through a moonless Caribbean night. Nor four yards, admitted Rainsford. It's like moist black velvet. It will be light enough in Rio, promised Whitney. We should make it in a few days. I hope the jaguar guns have come from birdies. We should have some good hunting up in the Amazon. Great sport, hunting. The best sport in the world, agreed Rainsford. For the hunter, amended Whitney. Not for the Jaguar. Don't talk rot, rot, Whitney, said Rainsford. You're a big game hunter, not a philosopher. Who cares how a Jaguar feels? Perhaps a Jaguar does, observed Whitney. Bah, they have no understanding. Even so, I rather think they understand one thing. Fear. The fear of pain and the fear of death. Nonsense, said Rainsford. This hot weather's making you soft, Whitney. Be a realist. The world is made up of two classes— the hunters and the huntees. Luckily, you and I are hunters. Do you think we've passed that island yet? As he said. I can't tell in the dark. I hope so. Why? asked Rainsford. The place has a reputation. A very bad one. Cannibals? suggested Rainsford. Hardly. Even cannibals wouldn't live in such a godforsaken place. But it's gone into sailor lore somehow. Didn't you notice that the crew's nerves seemed a bit jumpy today? They were a bit strange, now you mention it. Even Captain Nielsen, yes, 
even that tough minded old Swede who go up to the devil himself and ask him for a light. Those fishy blue eyes held a look I never saw there before. All I could get out of him was, This place has an evil name among seafaring men, sir. Then he said to me, very gravely, Don't you feel anything? As if the air about us was actually poisonous. Now, you mustn't laugh when I tell you this. I did feel something, like a, like a sudden chill. There was no breeze. The sea was as flat as a plate glass window. We were drawing near the island then. What I felt was was a mental chill, a sort of sudden dread. Pure imagination, said Rainsford. One superstitious sailor contained the whole ship's company with his fear. Maybe. But sometimes I think sailors have an extra sense that tells them when they are in danger. Sometimes I think evil is a tangible thing with wavelengths just as sound and light. An evil place can, so to speak, broadcast vibrations of evil. Anyhow, I'm glad we're getting out of this zone. I think I'll turn in for now, Rainsford. I'm not sleepy, said Rainsford. I'm going to smoke another pipe up after the, on the after deck. Good night then, Rainsford. See you at breakfast. Right. Good night, Whitney. There was no sound in the night as Rainsford sat there, but the muffled throb of the engine that drove the yacht swiftly through the darkness and the swish and ripple of the wash of the propeller. Rainsford reclining in a steamer chair, indolently puffed on his favorite breer, the sensuous drowsiness of the night was on him. It's so dark, he thought, that I could sleep without closing my eyes. The night would be my eyelids. An abrupt sound startled him. Off to the right he heard it, and his ears, expert in such matters, could not be mistaken. Again he heard the sound, and again. Somewhere off in the blackness someone had fired a gun three times. Rainsford sprang up and moved quickly to the rail, mystified. He strained his eyes in the direction from which the reports had come, but it was like trying to see through a blanket. He leaped upon the rail and balanced himself there to get greater elevation. His pipe, striking a rope, was knocked from his mouth. He lunged for it. A short, hoarse cry came from his lips as he realized he had reached too far and he had lost his balance. The cry was pinched off short as the blood-warm waters of the Caribbean Sea closed over his head. He struggled up to the surface and tried to cry out, but the wash from the spreading yacht slapped him in the face and the salt water in his open mouth made him gag and strangle. Desperately, he struck out with his strong strokes after the receding lights of the yacht, but he stopped before he had swum fifty feet. A certain cool-headedness had come to him. It was not the first time he had been in a tight place. There was a chance that his cries could be heard by someone about the yacht, but that chance was slender and grew more slender as the yacht raced on. He wrestled himself out of his clothes and shouted with all his power. The lights of the yacht became faint and ever-vanishing fireflies. They were blotted out entirely by the night. Rainsford remembered the shots. They had come from the right, and doggedly he swam in that direction, swimming with slow, deliberate strokes, conserving his strength. For a seemingly endless time he fought the sea. He began to count his strokes. He could do possibly a hundred more. And then Rainsford heard a sound. It came out of the darkness, a high screaming sound, the sound of an animal in an extremity of anguish and terror. Now, he did not recognize the animal that made the sound, and he didn't try to. With fresh vitality, he swam toward the sound. He heard it again. Then it was cut short by another noise. Crisp. Pistol shot, muttered Rainsford, swimming on. Ten minutes of determined effort brought about another sound to his ears. 
the most welcome he had, he had ever heard, the muttering and growling of the sea breaking on a rocky shore. He was almost on the rocks before he saw them. On a night less calm, he would have been shattered against them. With his remaining strength, he dragged himself from the swirling waters. Jagged crags appeared to jut into the opaqueness. He forced himself upward, hand over hand. Gasping, his hands raw, he reached a flat piece at the top. Dense jungle came down to the very edge of the cliffs. What perils that tangled trees and underbrush might hold for him did not concern Raceford just then. All he knew was that he was safe from his enemy, the sea, and that utter weariness was on him. He flung himself down to the jungle edge and tumbled headlong into the deepest sleep of his life. When he opened his eyes, he knew from the poison of the sun, from the poison, excuse me, from the position of the sun, that it was late in the afternoon. Sleep had given him new vigor. A sharp hunger was picking at him. He looked about him almost cheerfully. Where there are pistol shots, there are men. Where there are men, there is food, he thought. But what kind of men, he wondered, in so forbidding, in so forbidding a place? An unbroken front of snarled and wrangled and ragged jungle fringed the shore. He saw no sign of a trail through the closely knit web of weeds and trees. It was easier to go along the shore, and Rainsford floundered along by the water. Not far, not far from where he landed, he stopped. Same mood and thing, by the evidence a large animal, had thrashed about it in the underbrush. The jungle weeds were crushed down and the moss was lacerated. One patch of weeds was stained crimson. A small glittering object not far away caught Rainsford's eyes, and he picked it up. It was an empty cartridge. A twenty-two, he remarked. That's odd. It must have been a fairly large animal, too. The hunter had his nerve with him to tackle it with a light gun. It's clear that the brute put up a fight. I suppose the first three shots I heard was when the, was when the hunter flushed his quarry and wounded it. The last shot was when he trailed it here and finished it. He examined the ground closely and found what he had hoped to find, the print of hunting boots. They pointed along the cliff in the direction he had been going. Eagerly, he hurried along, not slipping on a rotten log or a loose stone, but making headway. Night was beginning to settle down on the island. Bleak darkness was backing out of the sea and jungle when Rainsford slided the lights, sighted the lights, excuse me. He came upon them as he turned a crook in the coastline and his first thought was that he had come upon a village, for there were many lights. But as he forged along, he saw to his great astonishment that all the lights were in one enormous building, a lofty structure with pointed towers plunging upwards into the gloom. His eyes made out the shadowy outlines of a palatial chateau. It was set on a high bluff, and on three sides of it, cliffs dived down to where the sea licked greedy lips in the shadows. Mirage, thought Rainsford. But it was no mirage he found when he opened the tall spiked iron gate. The stone steps were real enough. The massive door with a living gargoyle for a knocker was real enough. Yet above it all hung an air of unreality. He lifted the knocker and it creaked up stif stiffly as if it had never been used before. He let it fall and it, started, it startled him with its booming loudness. He thought he heard steps within. The door remained closed. Again, Rainsford lifted the heavy knocker and let it fall. The door opened then, opened as suddenly as if it were on a spring, and Rainsford stood blinking in the river of glaring gold lights that poured out. The first thing Rainsford's eyes discerned was the largest man Rainsford had ever seen, a gigantic creature, solidly made and black-bearded to the waist. 
In his hand, the man held a long-barreled revolver, and he was pointing it straight at Rainsford's heart. Out of the snarl of beard, two small eyes regarded Rainsford. Don't be alarmed, said Rainsford, with a smile which he held was disarming. I'm no robber. I fell off a yacht. My name is Sanger Rainsford of New York City. The menacing look in the eyes did not change, the revolver pointing as rigidly as if the giant were a statue. He gave no sign that he understood Rainsford's words, or that he had even heard Rainsford's words. He was dressed in a uniform, a black, trimmed uniform with a gray astrachum. I'm not sure how to say that word. I'm Sanger Rainsford of New York. Rainsford began again. I fell off a yacht. I am very hungry. The man's only answer was to raise with his thumb to the hammer of his revolver. Then Rainsford saw the man's free hand go to his forehead, a military salute, and he saw him click his heels together and stand at attention. Another man was coming down the broad marble steps, an erect, slender man in evening clothes. He advanced to Rainsford and held out his hand. In a cultivated voice marked by a slight accent that gave it added precision and deliberateness, he said, It is a very good pleasure and honor to welcome Mr. Sanger Rainsford, Rainsford, the celebrated hunter, to my home. Automatically, Rainsford shook the man's hand. I've read your book about hunting snow leopards in Tibet, you see, explained the man. I am General Zaroff. Rainsford's first impression was that the man was singularly handsome. His second was that there was an original almost bizarre quality about the general's face. He was a tall man, past middle age, for his hair was a vivid white, but his thick eyebrows and pointed military mustache were as black as the night from which Rainsford had come. His eyes, too, were black and very bright. He had high cheekbones, a sharp-cut nose, a spare, dark face, the face of a man used to giving orders, the face of an aristocrat. Turning to the giant uniform, the general made a sign. The giant put away his pistol, saluted, and withdrew. Ivan is an incredibly strong fellow, remarked the general. But he has a misfortune to be deaf and dumb. A simple fellow, but, I'm afraid like all his race, a bit of a savage. Is he Russian? He's a Cossack, said the general, and his smile showed red lips and pointed teeth. So am I. Come, he said. We shouldn't be chatting here. We can talk later. Now you want clothes, food, rest, you shall have them. This is a most restful spot. Ivan had reappeared, and the general spoke to him with lips that moved but gave forth no sound. Follow Ivan, if you please, Mr. Rainsford, said the general. I was about to have my dinner when you came. I'll wait for you. You'll find my clothes will fit you, I think. It was to a huge beam-ceiling bedroom with a canopy big bed bed big enough for six men that Rainsford followed the silent giant. Ivan laid out an evening suit, and Rainsford, as he put it on, noticed that it came from a London tailor who ordinarily cut and sewed for none below the rank of Duke. The dining room, to which Ivan conducted him, was in many ways remarkable. There was a medieval magnificence about it. It suggested a baronial hall of feudal times with its oaken panels, its high ceilings, its vast refectory tables, refectory tables, where two score men could sit down to eat. About the hall were mounted heads of many animals, lions, tigers, elephants, moose, bears, larger and more perfect specimens Rainsford had ever seen. At the great table, the general was sitting, alone. You'll have a cocktail, Mr. Rainsford, he suggested. 
The cocktail was surpassingly good, and, Rainsford noted, the table appointments were the finest, the linen, the crystal, the silver, the china. They were eating borscht, the rich red soup with whipped cream, so dear to Russian palates. Half apologetically, General Zarov said, We do our best to preserve the amenities of civilization here. Please forgive any lapses. We are well off the bean track, you know. Do you think the champagne has suffered from its long ocean trip? Not in the least, declared Rainsford. He was finding the general most thoughtful and affable host, a true cosmopolite. Cosmopolite. I don't know how to say that word. But there was one small trait of the generals that made Zarov, that made Rainsford uncomfortable. Whenever he looked up from his plate, he found the general studying him, appraising him narrowly. Perhaps, said General Zarov, you were surprised that I recognized your name. <clears throat> you see, I read all books on hunting published in English, French, and Russian. I have but one passion in my life, Mr. Rainsford, and it is the hunt. You have some wonderful heads here, said Rainsford, as he ate a particularly well-cooked filet mignon. That Cape Buffalo is the largest I ever saw. Oh, that fellow, yes, he was a monster. Did he charge you? Hurled me against a tree, said the general. Fractured my skull, but I got the brute. I've always thought, said Rainsford, that the Cape Buffalo is the most dangerous of all big game. For a moment, the general did not reply. He was smiling his curious red lip smile. Then he said slowly, No, you are wrong, sir. The Cape Buffalo is not the most dangerous big game. He sipped his wine. He had my preserve on this island. He said in the same slow tone, I hunt more dangerous game. Rainsford expressed his surprise. Is there big game on this island? The general nodded. The biggest. Really? Oh, it isn't here naturally, of course. I have to stock the island. What have you imported, General? Rainsford asked. Tigers? The general smiled. No, he said. Hunting tigers ceased to interest me some years ago. I exhausted their possibilities, you see. No thrill left in tigers, no real danger. I live for danger, Mr. Rainsford. The general took from his pocket a gold cigarette case and offered his guests a long black cigarette with a silver tip. It was perfumed and gave off a smell like incense. We will have some capital hunting, you and I, said the general. I shall be most glad to have your society. But what game, General? began Ransford. Began Rainsford. I'll tell you, said the General. You will be amused, I know. I think I may say in all modesty, in all modesty that I have done a rare thing. I have invented a new sensation. May I pour you another glass of port? Thank you, General. The General filled both glasses and said, God makes some men poets, some he makes kings, some beggars. Me, he made me a hunter. My hand was made for the trigger, my father said. He was a very rich man with a quarter of a million acres in the Crimea, and he was an ardent sportsman. When I was only five years old, he gave me a little gun, especially made in Moscow for me, to shoot sparrows with. When I shot some of his prized turkeys with it, he did not punish me. He complimented me on my marksmanship. I killed my first bear in the Caucasus, in the Caucasus, when I was ten. My whole life has been about one prolonged hunt. I went into the army, it was expected of noblemen's sons, and for a time commanded a division of Cossack cavalry, but my real interest was always the hunt. 
I've hunted every kind of game in every island. It would be impossible for me to tell you how many animals I've killed. The general puffed at his cigarette. After the debacle in Russia, I left the country, for it was imprudent for an officer of the Tsar to stay there. Many noble Russians lost everything. I, luckily, had invested heavily in American securities, so I shall never have to open a tea room in Monte Carlo or drive a taxi in Paris. Naturally, I continued to hunt. Grizzlies in Iraqis, crocodiles in the Ganges, rhinoceroses in East Africa. It was in Africa that the Cape Buffalo hit me and laid, laid me up for six months. As soon as I recovered, I, start, I started for the Amazon to hunt jaguars, for I had heard that they were unusually cunning. They weren't. The Cossack sighed. They were no match at all for Hunter with his wits about him and a high-powered rifle. I was bitterly disappointed. I was lying in my tent with a splitting headache one night when a terrible thought pushed its way into my head. Hunting was beginning to bore me. And hunting, remember, had been my life. I have heard that American businessmen often go, go to pieces when they give up the business that has been their life. Yes, that's so, said Rainsford. The general smiled. I had no wish to go to pieces, he said. I must do something. Now, mine is an analytical mind, Mr. Rainsford. Doubtless, that is why I enjoy the problems of the chase. No doubt, General Zeroff. So, continued the General, I asked myself why the hunt no longer fascinated me. You are much younger than I am, Mr. Rainsford, and have not hunted as much, but you perhaps can guess the answer. What was it? Simply this. Hunting had ceased to be what you call a sporting proposition. It had become too easy. I always got my quarry. Always. There is no greater bore than perfection. The general lit a fresh cigarette. No animal had a chance with me anymore. There is no boast. It is a mathematical certainty. The animal had nothing but his legs and his instinct. Instinct is no match for reason. When I thought, when I thought of this, it was a tragic moment for me, I can tell you. Rainsford leaned across the table, absorbed in what was in what his host was saying. It came to me as an inspiration what I must do. And that was? The general smiled, the quiet smile of one who has faced an obstacle and surmounted it with success. I had to invent a new animal to hunt, he said. A new animal? You're joking. Not at all, said the general. I never joke about hunting. I needed a new animal. I found one. So I bought the island, built this house, and here I do my hunting. The island is perfect for my purposes. There are jungles with a maze of traits in them, hills, swamps. But what's the animal, General Zaroff? Oh, said the general, it supplies me with the most exciting hunt in the world. No other hunting compares with it for an instant. Every day I hunt, and I never grow bored now, for I have a quarry with which I can match my wits. Rainsford bewilderment showed on his face. I wanted the ideal animal to hunt, explained the general, so I said, what are the attributes of an ideal quarry? And the answer was, of course, it must have courage, cunning, and above all, it must be able to reason. But no animal can reason, objected Rainsford. My dear fellow, there is one that can. Rainsford thought. And then he said, but you can't mean, and why not? I can't believe you're serious, General. This is grisly. This is a grisly joke. Why should I not be serious? I'm speaking of hunting. Hunting? Great guns. General Zaroff, what you are speaking of is murder. The General laughed with entire good nature. 
He regarded Rainsford quizzically. I refuse to believe that a man so modern civilized as you seems to be so seems to harbor romantic ideas about the value of human life. Surely your experiences in the war did not make me condone cold blooded murder, finished Rainsford stiffly. Laughter shook the general. How extraordinarily droll you are, he said. One does not now expect one does not expect nowadays to find a young man of the educated class, even in America, with such a naive and, if I may so myself, mid-Victorian point of view. It's like finding a snuff box in a limousine. Ah, well, doubtless you had a Puritan ancestors. So many Americans appear to have had. I'll wager you'll forget your notion when you go hunting with me. You're a gen you you've a genuine sorry, you have a genuine new thrill in store for you, Mr. Rainsford. Thank you. I'm a hunter, not a murderer. Dear me, said the general, quite unruffled. Again that unpleasant word, but I think I can show you that your scruples are quite ill founded. Yes. Life is for the strong to be lived by the strong, and if need be, taken by the strong. The weak of the world were put here to give the strong pleasure. I am strong. Why should I not use my gift? If I wish to hunt, why should I not? I hunt the scum of the earth, sailors from tramp ships, Lascars, blacks, Chinese, whites, mongrels. A thoroughbred horse or hound is worth more than a score of them. But they are men, said Rainsford. Precisely, said the general. That is why I use them. It gives me pleasure. They can reason after fashion. So they are dangerous. But where do you get them? The general's left eyelid fluttered down in a wink. The island is called Ship Trap, he answered. Sometimes an angry god of the high sea sends them to me. Sometimes when Providence is not so kind, I help Providence a bit. Come to the window with me. Rainsford went to the window and looked out toward the sea. Watch there, exclaimed the general, pointing into the night. Rainsford's eyes only saw blackness, and then, as the general pressed a, a button far out in the sea, saw the flash of lights. The general chuckled. They indicate a channel, he said, where there's none, giant rocks with rager edges crouched like a sea monster with wide-open jaws. They can crush a ship as easily as I crush this nut. He dropped a walnut on the hardwood floor and brought his heels grinding down on it. Oh, yes, he said casually, as if it were an answer a question. I have electricity. We try to be civilized here. Civilized? And you shoot down men? A trace of anger was in the general's black eyes, but it was there for but a second. And he said, in his most pleasant manner, Dear me, what a righteous young man you are. I assure you I do not do the thing you suggest. That would be barbarian. That would be barbarous. I treat these visitors with every consideration. They get plenty of food and exercise. They get into splendid physical condition. You shall see for yourself tomorrow. Tomorrow. What do you mean? We'll visit my training school, smiled the general. It's in the cellar. I have about a dozen pupils down there. They're from the Spanish bark, San Lucar, that have been that had the bad luck to go on the rocks out there. A very inferior lot, I regret to say. Poor specimens are more accustomed to the deck than to the jungle. He raised his hand, and Ivan, who served as waiter, brought thick Turkish coffee. Rainsford, with an effort, held his tongue in cheek. In check. It's a game, you see, pursued the general. I suggest to one of them that we go hunting. I give him a supply of food and an excellent hunting rifle. I give him three hours' start. I am to follow, armed only with a pistol and the smallest caliber in range. If my quarry eludes me for three whole days, he wins the game. If I find him, the general smiled, he loses. Suppose he refuses to be hunted? Oh, said the general. I give him his option, of course. He need not play the game if he doesn't wish to. If he does not wish to hunt, I turn him over to Ivan. Ivan once had the honor of serving as the official nowder of the great white Tsar, 
and he has his own idea of a sport. Invariably, Mr. Rainsford, invariably, they choose the hunt. And I think I'm going to leave it right there. Leave it in sort of like a little cliffhanger. I know, I hate when TV shows do that to me, but I'm uh, running low on time and uh, do kind of have to get going here. And I think um, I'm roughly 55% of the way done there, 60%. So this sets up for the final part to also be a um, decent-sized episode. So hopefully you guys enjoyed part one of The Most Dangerous Game. Uh, really interesting read for me so far. Even though the text is very small and what I'm seeing here, so it's kind of hard for me to, like, read it well, I guess. But, anyway. If I have any questions, have any comments, you can always get in touch with me at hello at sleepandrelax.com. Hello. Hello at sleepandrelaxasmr.com. You can check out our website, sleepandrelaxasmr.com. And, uh, yeah, I will definitely release part two either um, next episode or um, two or two episodes from now. So, Definitely within the next week, I will have this uploaded for you. So, anyway, part one, most dangerous game. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks, as always, for listening, and take care.